And I wondered, why is that? Well, nobody wants to see a child go hungry, right? Nobody wants to see a homeless man be cold. No one wants to see a family endure humiliation without gifts to give. But I want to tell you something today. For the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the faithful disciple of the Lord, giving generously ought to be an everyday lifestyle. We ought to always be giving generously. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called, we are commissioned, we are commanded to give like our Father in heaven gave. We're called to give like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave. You see, Christmas is about giving. The Bible says that our Heavenly Father gave and He gave generously. For, the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we also know that our Lord and Savior Jesus gave and he gave generously. Just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her. But I think that you have seen people like I have who sometimes have ulterior motives for their generosity. Think about those people. I read a story once about uh, a, a town near Miami, Florida. And in this town, they had six royal palm trees. And those royal palm trees had been vandalized, so they had to cut them down right off Flagler Street down near Miami Beach. Due to the expense involved in replacing those trees... Dade County wasn't sure if they would ever be able to replace those trees. And then along came a generous donation. A generous donation of six new trees. Now, the former trees that were there before being vandalized were about 15 feet tall, and they formed this beautiful foreground for a billboard that read, Fly Delta. But the new trees were 35 feet tall and hid the billboard entirely. Later, it was found that the donor of the new trees was Eastern Airlines. Sometimes, generosity isn't always as generous as it seems. One reason that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi was to thank that church for being so very generous and giving thankful, sincere offerings. In the very last passage that we're going to be studying today, we receive perhaps the greatest promise in the Bible. If you would follow along with me in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, the word of God reads, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared, say shared, that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed to Macedonia, no church shared. 
No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I, am, I have all and I abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And listen carefully. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 19, my Bible reads, I will meet all your needs, God says. That's the, if that's the case, why do sometimes our marital teams not have everything they need? If God says, I will supply all your needs, why is it that sometimes family needs seem to be unmet? If God says, I will supply all your needs, why is it that churches find themselves sometimes needy? Why is it that our work teams sometimes find themselves in need and going out of business? Could it be because uh, those needs are not being met because God's a liar? Could it be that the promises of the Bible are not valid? Of course, we know the answer to that. But here's your answer, friend. Listen carefully. With almost every promise we find in the Bible, we also find a premise. With every promise, we also find a premise. There is a condition, a basis, a premise by which God says this. If you do this, I'll do that. We cannot claim, verse 19, that God will meet all of our needs unless we're doing what verse 18 talks about. Too many people, they want the promise, but they avoid the premise. Let's talk about what our team's premise is. What is the condition? What is the basis in order for us to receive the promise? Here is the premise in a nutshell. We must learn to be generous with others. We must learn to be generous with others. See, when you're generous with others, God is generous with you. When you, friend, are giving to others, then God will pour out his generosity on you. How do you know, Brother Bill? Well, listen to the words of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, 38, Jesus said, Give to others and God will give back to you, for with the same measure for which you use it, it will be measured back to you. If you take care of the premise, God will take care of the promise. Now, the premise of the promise is this. You must first learn to be generous with other people. God is not obligated to meet my needs unless I'm doing what he told me to do. Amen? So let's look at a couple of reasons why we should be generous. Paul gives us at least three. First of all, our giving is an encouragement to other people. 
When I give, not only do I bless myself, not only do I bless the recipient, but I bless other people who may catch wind that I have given. Let's read there in verse 14 again. Paul said, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once, and then you sent it again for my necessities. Paul was encouraged that there were people out there willing to give for the glory of God and for the cause of Jesus Christ. They were he was an encouragement to him. Now, here's something you need to know about this church in Philippi. This church in Philippi was not a wealthy church. In fact, it was the exact opposite. It was a poverty-stricken church, a very poor church, but they were big-hearted, they were generous, and, friend, they were giving, and they loved the Lord Jesus and the work that had been done by Paul. So in this area of generosity, you need to know that both the giver and the givee receive blessings. Let me tell you this. There are two wonderful results of giving. Here's the first one. When you give, it expands your ministry. When you give, it expands your ministry. Consider this. Whatever you support, you're a partner in. We just read it here. Where's that card? Beth, at Show Save a Life, was blessed and encouraged by what Bethel Baptist Church has given. We have expanded our ministry, and although I am not in this ministry day in and day out, guess what? I'm a partner in it. You're a partner in it because you give to that particular ministry. So that's one of the blessings of giving is that we become a partner in other ministries. But I also want you to know that giving will make you more like Jesus. Giving will make you more like Jesus. Jesus was the greatest sacrificial giver there ever was. And the most Christ-like thing that you can do is give. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. God want, Christ wants you to be more like him, and when you give, you're becoming a lot like Jesus. So this poverty-stricken church here in Philippi, poor, didn't have much, but friend, they had a reputation for giving. And look what we're doing today. 2,000 years later, here we are still talking about this church in Philippi who was so faithful in their giving. It's an encouragement. It expands our ministry, but it also makes us more like Jesus. So giving is an encouragement, but also giving is also an investment. Listen to this. In verse 17, Paul wrote, not that I seek the gift. May I intervene there and say, not that I seek the gift for me. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. 
I'm not looking for what I can get, but I am astounded at what you're going to get because of your giving. Imagine that, friend. It's an investment in the future. Everybody take your finger like this. Take your finger and put it on that word account in the Bible. That word account is something you all have. Amen? Most of you have a banking account. It's a banking word. But the only difference in the original language of the Bible is, is that in the original language, that word account means you're going to receive accumulated interest. We like that, don't we? I'd love to have accumulated interest on my bank account. Right? You remember Jesus said that we would receive 100-fold if we give up for the gospel. See, and 100-fold is 10,000%. Has anybody ever gotten that kind of return on their investment? 10,000%? I'm telling you, that's a pretty good return. That's something I want, amen? So giving benefits the giver, but giving also benefits the receiver. You see, every one of us has an account in heaven. We have this account, and every time you give, every time you give, God is recording that on your account. Consider this, a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name. God records it. Consider this. Every time you're generous with a family member, God's recording it. Every time you're generous with your church, with your friends, with unbelievers, anytime you give, it's recorded and it's rewarded. Every time you give. So your giving truly is an investment. It's an investment. And the bank of heaven pays the interest. Consider this. You ain't going to get the interest if you don't make the investment. And I'm not just talking about tithing or giving to the church here. I'm talking about being a generous giver in every realm of your life. So, listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter five or chapter 6, uh, he was writing to Timothy because Timothy was pastoring a church. And he said, here's what you need to tell your folks. Tell them to do good. That they'll be rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. And here's what will happen. They'll be storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. It's recorded. It's recorded in heaven, but it's also rewarded. In heaven. Where are you going to spend most of your time? On this side of eternity or that side of eternity? You're going to spend far more time on that side of eternity. Everybody agree with that? Does anybody disagree with that? If you, if you, if you disagree with that, you need to get saved today. Amen? If that's the case, you're going to spend more time on that side of eternity than you ever will here. Where? Are you making your investment? Where are you making your investment? There's a third reason that we should be generous, and that is this. Our giving is a sacrifice to God. 
Listen to what Paul wrote in verse 18 of Philippians 4. He said, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Aphrodite the things that were sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Your giving is a sacrifice to God. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that the most pleasing thing you can do for God is to give sacrificially. I'm not talking about just out of your checkbook. I'm talking about out of your time, out of your efforts, out of your blood, out of your sweat, out of your tears, out of your prayers, out of your efforts, out of your hard work, out of your voice, out of everything that's a part of you, if you're willing to give it away, that is most pleasing to God. Your giving is a sacrifice to him. The word says that your giving is a sweet-smelling sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, giving is an act of worship. And the good news about that is, is you can do it anytime, any place, to anyone. You can worship God with your giving. So, that's why Paul said the giving's so important because we ought to always be worshiping God. So, giving generously is the premise. It's the condition. It's the basis it's the foundation. And you got to do the premise before you can claim the promise. Let's look further. You can't claim verse 19 unless you're doing verse 18. Think about it. I must first be generous with others. When we meet our team's premise that we find there in verse 18 of being generous to other people, then we can claim our team's promise that we find in verse 19. So what is promised if our teams are generous? What is promised to us? Read it there with me again in verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What's the source of that promise? Paul said, my God. My God is the one that fulfills that promise. Our Heavenly Father is acute, acutely aware of every need you have. He knows what you need physically. He knows what you need financially. He knows what you need mentally and relationally. He knows your needs. He's a caring and compassionate and capable Father. And He will assume all responsibility for your needs as long as you're meeting the premise. So let's look at the scope of this promise. My God is the source. Where is the scope? Will meet all my needs. Interesting. That includes everything. That includes all my needs. It doesn't say that God might meet my needs. It says God will meet all my needs. It's guaranteed. It's a shoe-in. There's no doubt about it. If I meet the premise, I can count on the promise. If you're a consistent, generous giver, you can count on God to take care of all your needs. Now, 
There's a lot of people that will misuse that verse. A lot of people misuse that verse. And let me just tell you this. This promise does not include some things. This promise does not include, uh, does not cover the consequences of laziness. You know people out there who are receiving handouts that refuse to work, don't you? They're unwilling to work. Not unable, that's different, but they're unwilling. Think about this. This is not an invitation to goof off. God expects us to work. The Word of God says so. He doesn't promise to meet your needs if you're just walking around doing nothing. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 tells us, commands people, that if people are unwilling to work, not unable, if they're unwilling to work, that we should not give them handouts. If they're unwilling to work, we should not give to their needs. Not unable, unwilling. If anyone will not work, neither will he eat. Amen? That's a big promise. But the promise not only doesn't cover the consequences of laziness, but the, the promise doesn't cover all your wants either. And we've talked about this before. There is a huge difference between needs and wants. But the Bible doesn't say, my God shall supply all your greeds. It says, I'll supply all your... Supply all your... Thank you. God doesn't say, hey... Go out there and waste your money on luxuries and foolishness. And when you don't have enough money to pay for your needs, then I'll step up and supply them. God doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. God don't bankroll foolishness. Right? Amen? He's promised to cover all of our legitimate needs. So, friend, let me ask you this question. Have you got a financial need? Knowing that there's a difference between needs and wants, do you have a financial need? Well, if you are a faithful giver, you have every right to ask God to meet your financial need. But if you're not a faithful giver, then you have no right because you're not meeting the premise. And you can't claim the promise if you're not meeting the premise. God says, if you're a child of mine and you're doing what I've asked you to do, I assume full responsibility to meet all your needs. You can count on me. The promise is yours if you're fulfilling the premise. So we've looked at the source of this promise, my God. And the scope of this promise is, will meet my needs. But where is this coming from? Where's the supply of this promise? Well, he says, according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You see, God has unlimited resources. Do you know that? You've heard uh, the, the verse in the Bible that says he owns... A thousand cattle on a thousand hills or something like that. Anybody know that verse? He owns it all. Everything you think you own, you don't. 
God owns all that. You're the manager. You're the steward. Are you taking care of what God's entrusted to you? What is the supply? God has the unlimited resources. He has an inexhaustible supply. But I want you to notice something. God did not say that he promised to give you out of his glorious riches. He said according to his glorious riches. I want you to know there's a big difference between out of and according to. Consider this illustration. Bill Gates is one of the wealthiest billionaires in America. If Bill Gates wrote you a check for $1,000 after you got done celebrating, uh, you'd be realizing that he was giving to you out of his riches. But if Sweet Willie gave you a check that was not filled out, and all he did was sign it, and said, here, take care of all your needs. That's according to his riches. Philippians 4.19, friend, is the blank check for the faithful, generous believer. But a blank check is worthless if it ain't signed. Where's your check? It's right here. This check is signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This check tells you where the premise is. What is my part? What, is that? what have I got to do in order to receive the promise? There's a parallel passage in this Bible to Philippians chapter 4. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and it has the same premise and the same promise. Listen carefully. The NIV records it this way. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know it. Each one should give whatever he's decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under pressure. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's the premise part. Now, here's the promise. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's the promise of God if we fulfill the premise. Friends, let me tell you this. There was a long time when I was not a giver, much less a generous giver. And I'm telling you, based upon the authority of the word of God, but also based upon my experience as a believer, if you will let this truth really grab a hold of you, it will change your life. The principle is this. Become a giver. And God will take care of all your I don't have any worries in my financial arena. God will meet his promise. Why? Because I'm meeting the premise. My prayer for you is today is that you can say that. 
Because Christmas is all about giving. And I read this this week, that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. I pray that we'll become generous, faithful givers. At Christmas, the Father gave his son. How many of you have sons in here? Raise them high so I can see. Wow. How many of you would give your sons for people that reject you? Can you even fathom that? But the father gave his son. And then it's interesting that at the cross, the son gave his life for you. Do you see, friend, that Christmas is all about giving? And do you know that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you something else? He gives you his very spirit to live within you? He's just all the time giving. I reflect back on my life, and he's always giving. And it breaks my heart sometimes to reflect back on the times when I'm not giving nothing. He's given you all that he can give. He's given you his son. And his son gave you his life. And he'll give you his spirit that will help you to become a generous giver. So my question for you today is this. Will you accept God's Christmas gift to you today? Good news is you don't have to try and pay him back. You know how... Oftentimes, we have to one-up the present from last year, right? You don't have to try and pay him back. A simple, I believe, will suffice. All God wants from you for Christmas is you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for my Christmas gift.